Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. Today, we actually have our third annual conversation uh, with uh, Lisa Jacobson, the president of the Business Council for Sustainable Energy, and Ethan Zindler, who's the head of Americas for Bloomberg NEF. We're talking about the amazing Sustainable Energy in America 2021 Factbook. This is the ninth version in a series that really highlights the revolution in U.S. energy production. There's really very few resources like this in the industry. You can link to it from our website at cleancapital.com and learn more about the fantastic research on the trends that we're seeing in the industry in production and transportation, uh, in uh, decarbonization, in energy efficiency, in jobs. The data and uh, work that is put into this every year is, is incredible and really tells the story of where our market is today. It also really highlights specifically this year what a blip 2020 was and some of the interesting shifts and challenges we went through in 2020, but that the trends show we have a fundamentally strong industry and marketplace. And with a new administration and a possible green stimulus, a steroid injection to really continue to scale this market uh, and help solve the climate crisis. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Ethan, Ethan, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So this is our, our third annual coverage of the, uh, the fact book. Lisa, I was hoping you could just step back for a second and talk about just a history of the fact book, what it, what it is briefly and you know, what, it, what you guys have seen it do as a tool for the industry. Well, John, thank you so much again for inviting the Business Council for Sustainable Energy and Bloomberg NEF to share the findings of the 2021 Sustainable Energy in America Factbook. We are in our ninth edition. I, I find awesome. that staggering, but but also really exciting for you know what you're hoping I'll explain. I mean, we, we started the Factbook again almost 10 years ago knowing across the sectors that BCSE works with, so that's energy efficiency, natural gas, renewable energy, energy storage, sustainable transportation. We, we knew we were on the cusp of some very significant changes, but we didn't really have an accessible resource that put it all together. And again, did it in a way that both our industries could understand, but also policymakers. We wanted policymakers to understand. So we didn't really know what where the data would go and where the markets would go when we started. But, you know, we did a 10-year retrospective with the 2020 Backbook, and we found significant structural changes in our energy economy. And we saw energy efficiency, renewable energy, natural gas, um, new sustainable transportation technologies really dominating the energy economy in the United States, and, and we're getting very significant benefits. So we wanted a factual, historical review of what's happening in the marketplace. We wanted to look at U.S. energy as a whole, but then we also wanted to look at areas where we might have, you know, right now relatively small uh, deployment in technology, but we think that they are poised for growth. So we wanted to have, again, a factual-based record of a transformation that might occur going into the future. So it's very practical. And, you know, it's meant to be a foundational resource for policymakers and 
certainly industry and others uh, like other stakeholders that might be interested in understanding U.S. energy markets. You can always you can actually access it from uh, from a link and the where the podcast is hosted for all the folks in the audience. But Lisa, for folks that aren't familiar with the Business Council for Sustainable Energy, you guys are a rock star organization. Can you talk for a second about what you guys do? Thank you for that. Um, yes, the Business Council for Sustainable Energy is a policy advocacy coalition. We represent companies and trade associations in the sectors I just mentioned. So renewable energy, energy efficiency, natural gas, transportation, storage. Um, and we come together to focus largely on commercially available technology and putting forth policies that will defo- deploy us cost-effectively and quickly, and increasingly um, to look at what the scientific community is telling us we need to do with regard to climate change. How do we get on pace with the trajectories to reduce emissions and and also um, prepare our economy for the impacts of climate change? So addressing resilience and adaptation too. Excellent. And then Ethan, you know, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, uh, you're, you're the head of America's. You guys are really uh, the go-to, uh, it, it's, you know, we're talking about a fact book. You guys have the data and have been able to put these facts together for, for a decade now. But for folks that are not familiar with BNEF, can you talk for a second about uh, what you all do? Sure. So Bloomberg NEF is a division of Bloomberg LP, which is the um, financial information provider. Pretty well known, obviously. Sure. News division as well. Um, but we, we're about a 250-person unit within the much larger company that just focuses on what we would call the energy transition. Um, but we also look at other areas where of the economy now that are transitioning to lower carbon um, uh, technologies and investment um, includes um, materials. Um, it includes uh, you know, what we would call the circular economy overall. It includes industry. And we're also starting to look a bit at agriculture as well. But basically now um, we uh, we do fundamental research on on this all, all this entire transition towards a lower carbon economy. So you know, I think Lisa, you mentioned this last time we we talked. It was last year's fact book, and it was looking back for the last decades and some of the fundamental changes that have that have happened. You know, leading to a really fundamentally strong marketplace. But obviously, twenty twenty was a transformational year on so many levels for the economy. Uh, uh, maybe Ethan, you can talk for a second about some of the shifts that we saw both in transportation and how our electricity and where our electricity was being delivered. You know, and, and and any thoughts on any of those shifts are here to stay, or you know, will, will we sort of revert back to status quo after those changes? So uh, I was joking with Lisa when we finished the project this year. You know, last year was useful because it was the end of a decade, and we look back over ten years of all this extraordinary change and decarbonization and transition and whatever. And I kind of thought, okay, well, twenty twenty, well, you know, it's going to be kind of more of the same, but it'll be incremental. Little did we know it was going to be like the weirdest year, you know, in 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 his. I mean, literally one of the weirdest years in history, and um, and it had all kinds of major ramifications, as you might imagine, for the energy sector. Total energy consumption in the U.S. our estimate was down by about eight percent um, last year, um, so that's a huge decline, um, bigger than we even saw during you know years like the the Great Recession, um, and uh, but but the decline was not even. Um, in particular, use of energy around transportation, as you might imagine, was down the most, which is down 14.5%. And uh, and that was you know, largely because like, no one, at certain points, no one traveled at all on airplanes, yeah. almost at all at all. 
have an airplane in a year. Exactly. Me too. What I wouldn't do to get on an airplane and get right. some, some, some <laughs> muzzy peanuts. Um, uh, but um, the the uh, electricity segment of, of our use of energy actually only only went down by about four, about four percent, and that is not probably not even that surprising because. You know, look, uh, I, I'm not sitting here talking to you at my office, um, but I am here at home and we're using a lot more you know, electricity uh, during the week here at home than we would have. So the residential segment basically helped to offset the declines in some of the other segments overall in terms of electricity. But overall, energy usage was down and that had all kinds of ramifications across really across the whole energy sector. Interesting. And we, we did see a shift, you know, continued shift, Lisa, in terms of generation. So you know, I, I, want to, I love the fact actually in here that uh, coal plants uh, slipped to 19% uh, from 45% a decade ago. And there's so many factors that le- led to that shift, but we've seen a growth in renewables, a growth in natural gas production. You know, what, what are some of the continued trends that we're seeing in the generation side uh, that we hope to continue here in 2021? Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure Ethan will want to comment on this too, but let's just look at renewables. I mean, we're talking, you know, record setting year, uh, nearly 34 gigawatts built. Um, This is 50% above the previous annual record year. And when you look at where renewables sit with other generation in our mix, you know, it's basically tied with nuclear and it's something people probably never have. One fifth of our power generation uh, in the country last year. So, in a very challenging year where we basically had a very chaotic, at least couple of months for large scale renewable energy projects, we still had this tremendous growth. And, you know, some of it may be in just the policy uncertainty with tax credits and, you know, kind of a previous year or two ramp up. But, uh, you know, I, I think it shows overall the, the bigger trend is that this is what customers want and it's cost effective. And I think that's a structural change. You know, we also you know, have built in many years and continued investment in energy efficiency while the energy efi- efficiency picture for 2020 um, was, you know, a very unusual. Uh, you know, basically our energy productivity rose which normally would be a very good sign. It rose significantly, but it rose mostly due to, you know, economic contraction. And, you know, as Ethan was saying, the changes in the way we used energy. So even though we, we had this positive metric, you know, if you look under the hood, it, it's, it's not for the reasons that we would want to see. But nonetheless, some of it is due to these long-term sustained investments in energy efficiency, and they keep happening. They're, they've continued and they are delivering. However, you know, energy efficiency industries and some of the project work has definitely been stalled much more than other areas in the clean energy marketplace. The residential energy efficiency in particular is still not nearly back up to the pace that it was in a normal year. And, you know, I think some of the latest estimates show at least about 400,000 clean energy jobs that have not been restored since the pandemic. And many of them are in the energy efficiency residential space. So we, we Can you have, talk about that for a second? So we, I, I actually gave a, a presentation last week uh, to an HR conference that we're looking at sort of the next, you know, the next industries. And I specifically used the information, the data, the, the fact book. And there's an amazing slide there that shows energy efficiency jobs in pink versus like, and it's just, it's like a hockey stick of energy efficiency jobs. And then all the other jobs below it, you know, solar, coal. And um, it's really easy for people to think about a solar job or a wind job. But when you raise energy efficiency, if you don't know the industry, people are like, what is that? 
So how would you define, just for folks that aren't familiar, what's an energy efficiency job? Right. Well, I mean, just to, to be clear, the data we're using in the fact book is the data from the U.S. Energy um, Employment Report that comes right. out each year. And the lead researcher for that is BW Research. And so they have some pretty specific definitions. But generally speaking, you know, these are anything from contractors to energy efficiency financers, uh, people that work in ESCOs. Uh, people that work in utility efficiency programs, efficiency equipment manufacturers. So like the whole supply chain of energy efficiency, and they have to work at least 50%. Many of them are full-time, but, you know, there are some challenges with, you know, methodologies as it relates to energy efficiency workers, you know, in the contracting field. But there are established methodologies. And I think the important thing is the same methodologies are used every year. So it is a benchmark that's worth looking at, even though it may be imperfect. but you know, energy efficiency jobs are everywhere, right? You know, right. some people say there's certain, you know, power. Um, well, anyway, I'm going to want to go off in too much of the weeds here, but energy efficiency jobs are everywhere and they are sustained, you know, day in and day out uh, employment opportunities. Absolutely. So this is an area that's, you know, already was, you know, the largest segment really of the U.S. energy workforce. And it was over, you know, 2.3 million jobs at the beginning of 2020. And there have been some losses and furloughs, but this is an area for uh, continued growth for sure. Absolutely. Ethan, there's been, you know, obviously some significant shifts and changes to the market in 2020. Some of the trends we were seeing, for instance, on corporate PPAs slowed down just because people weren't signing PPAs last year as much. But we did see, you know, major commitments on climate and other, uh, you know, uh, renewable goals by, by companies. Uh, and we also saw just a dramatic shift in the global supply chain uh, as, you know, so much was affected by COVID. In, of those trends, of those shifts we saw in 2020, what do you sort of see correcting itself in 2021? Uh, and what do you see that some of those just be a uh, continued shift? Good question. I mean, I would say... Um yeah, it wasn't a spectacular year in the grand scheme of things for corporate power purchase agreements, but it was a very good year in terms of corporate commitments on um, procuring more renewable energy and, and science-based targets to re- reduce CO2 emissions from companies. So that, to my mind, foreshadows a rebound in corporate PPA activity going forward, because if, if you want to actually hit these targets, you're going to actually have to procure that that, that clean energy. So I, I think that was probably a bit of a, of a short-term thing. We, we also had a bit of a boom. I would say 2019 was probably particularly good years for, for corporate uh, PPAs as well, in part because there was a huge pipeline of projects coming online in 2020. Um, yeah. And, uh, and as Lisa mentioned, I mean, it was a record with 34 gigawatts of wind and solar built last year, and I'm, uh, the, it, which is, let, first, let's note that that's remarkable, given remarkable. That, that, um, um, that it was a, a super weird year and that um, there were some real challenges to people actually getting their jobs done, as you know, during parts of the year, I mean, sure. particularly on the residential and commercial photovoltaic side. It was not easy to get into people's homes or onto people's roofs or do any of that kind of work or to market your services door to door, which is what a bunch of these companies right. have done historically. Getting things like permits done on town councils that weren't meeting or meeting exactly. Zooms or exactly. some weird, weird hiccups though. Um, but I mean, I do, I do think um, so. So that anyway, anyway, that that build was was you know was was remarkable. It was 
like basically 50% higher than the second best year we've ever recorded. It was um, in part the, the factor partly that drove that was that there was a lot of money that was invested in 2019 and it takes time for that to then manifest itself in projects completed. Um, that was a record we saw for investments in 2019. The other thing was concern around tax credits expiring at the end of 2020, and that really front-loaded some stuff into the calendar year that maybe would have gone a little further, although it's hard, right. hard to see it how it would not have been a record because it was such an, an enormous amount of stuff that got that got built overall. So obviously whatever impact you know those projects come online, that's going to be long lasting. They're going to operate for the next 20, 30 years, whatever that is. But can, I think can I ask you a follow up on the tax credit piece for a second? Because yeah. the, the extension obviously is is fantastic for the industry. And you know, looking at other work that you guys have done in the, sitting on the finance side, the tax credit space is exciting from a return perspective, it's super challenging from a uh, supply perspective. Yeah. There's just not that much much out there. I mean, do you do you guys still consider consider that to be or what is your view on like what chokehold that will play in continued growth here? Well, that's a really good question. So, and that was actually one of the other sort of question marks slash challenges of 2020. Was it about April, May started to hear sort of rumblings about people saying things like, well, you know, some projects will get financed, but more adventurous projects may not. Yeah. That was sort of code name, I think, for community souls. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great example. Microgrids. So many, so many things. Yeah. Anything that wasn't like a, you know, a, a, you know, a standard Vestas wind turbine or GE, you know, project. I think even PV plus storage was considered slightly weird. And totally. um, so that, that wasn't great, um, obviously. And, um, but look, all, the, clear, the, the proof's somewhat in the pudding. Clearly there's enough tax equity to, to, to get 34 gigawatts of wind and solar built, right? Yep. So if it's been done once, presumably it can be done again. Um, I think people are more confident about earnings from the banks and others now than they certainly were, you know, in, in April and May of 2020. So, I mean, I, I generally feel pretty good, but, um, you know, the point still remains on tax equity, which is that it's just a fundamentally stupid way to try and subsidize an industry. It's <laughs> right. just one that we happen to use in this country because it's politically acceptable. Yeah. Lisa, when we, we look back at, uh, like, you know, the beginning of the last, I mean, if we run back to the last fact book, you go back to sort of the Obama administration coming in and our, our money coming forward with the idea of shovel-ready projects. Projects, You know, our, this industry was so nascent at the time. Ethan, I remember our first interview, we talked about the shift in the industry from folks in jeans and ponytails to suits at conferences, right? It was just, <laughs> it was just a, a, a shift that really happened over the last decade. Yeah, we're, but, we're on to man buns now. Just yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe we're even past man buns. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> the, the um, but the reality is there was a major uh, pour, you know, a major outpour of of public sector dollars that came in and it really helped accelerate, bring down the cost of of technologies, bring efficiency to the workforce, uh, and really scale. But now, look, you know, looking at the last two years, even with the COVID split, the fundamentals in the industry are really strong. The private dollars are coming in like never before. But now we're at the beginning of another new administration, you know, Lisa being in DC, that's super supportive of what we want to get done here, solve the climate crisis. You know, what, what should folks begin to expect? I'm going to get to the sort of stimulus side of this in a moment, but just in terms of other policy changes over the next, you know, year to eighteen months, 
that will help continue to sort of push the trends we're seeing in the fact book forward. You know, we'd just love your thoughts on you know, sort of where the new administration is going to play there. Well, I think, yeah, the new administration has been very clear about its concerns about climate change and the need to reduce our emissions globally to meet the the tests that the scientific community has set. You know, we we need to dramatically reduce our emissions. We also are seeing, and we're recording this just a week after the blackouts and the grid challenges in Texas, Oklahoma, and a number of other states, but, you know, 2020 was a year, and you'll see this in the back book, you know, we had very expense, expensive and broadly felt natural disasters throughout the country, wildfires, droughts, floods. Um, it was, you know, very expensive for our economy, but most importantly, really harmful to communities. So this new administration has also, you know, put a marker out there on resilience and resilient infrastructure. But I think, you know, when I look at taking a step back, you know, what's going to influence deployment and investment, I look kind of at the highest level. And then I also look down um, at the more operational policy level. At the highest level, we rejoined Paris. We are sending a signal to the market for this administration that global engagement on climate change is critical, essential, and we want to be in. And by doing that, we're going to set high-level directional policies that signal markets to low and zero carbon investment. And we want the U.S. business community to lead in that. And we want to provide our technologies and services here at home, but also globally. So that's kind of at the highest level. Like this is a directional shift. You know, we are and we're doing it in a way that the Obama administration wasn't able to do at that time. It was a much more incremental conversation then. Um, Doesn't mean that this will be easy, but that's where they are. And then there's a whole suite of policies that are being looked at that both are trying to improve our economic condition post-COVID, but also simultaneously ensure that when the federal government spends money, it's doing it consistent with the climate and resilience goals while creating jobs and meeting other tests that they set for themselves. So it's a very ambitious agenda, but it also is trying to take a holistic approach. So at the highest levels of what the US government is projecting here at home and to the world, and what they're trying to implement on the ground. Yeah, I feel like that the you know the, the last round it was a need for the, the the federal government to really lead the way and drive and, and create space. And now the markets are so aligned to support what we want to get done. Some of it is is just really enabling that and putting in place the incremental changes and some monumental changes, but to keep the private capital really going forward. Because you know I think either you know on the capital side, there's nothing better for for the capital than uncertainty and policy certainty and you know establishing some of that and that leadership again is going to be really critical to open the doors and part of that is you know we are going to see a massive hopefully we're going to see a, a significant stimulus uh or folks are calling the green stimulus you know we'd love uh, your thoughts on on how that will affect what we care about in the clean energy industry it's a good question and I mean, and, and even more, maybe first, just more, more broadly on the policy question, you know, it does here in, in the power sector, which is mostly what we're going to talk about, we're talking about so far, you know, decarbonization has a certain momentum to it right now. And the reason why coal only achieved 19% of generation last year down from 45 a decade ago is it's just not cost competitive. It's right. just getting butt kicked by, by gas, which is cheap and renewables, which is, which is a zero marginal cost. That trend we think basically continues over the next five years. 
it doesn't, just to be clear, it doesn't get you to a zero emission picture, but it does create a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, momentum. It's the other sectors of the economy that like just aren't going to clean, you know, aren't going to decarbonize themselves and particularly transportation. And that's where, um, you know, just such a massive difference between the Trump administration and potentially the Biden Biden administration's uh, uh, regulations around corporate average fuel economy standards. This is just a hugely important. GM having a Super Bowl commercial on electric vehicles? Absolutely. I mean, you you see corporate America. Responding, right, automakers that were dragging their feet and and you know fighting you know California tooth and nail are now suddenly promising to abolish you know internal combustion engines and 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 yeah running great ads about right. how Norway is our enemy because you know thirty percent of their sales are EVs or whatever it is so there's there's a lot the administration really can get across in in other in other areas last thing I'll just say on on, on on Paris, and I agree with with Lisa's that I think it sends a good signal. I'll, I'll go one step further, which is I also think that getting back into Paris actually puts important pressure back on the Biden administration itself to do something material between now and when the next COP takes place. Because I think, unfortunately, the global lesson that a lot of people have taken away from the last four years is that unless the US legislates a real commitment to reduce its emissions, then you really have to be concerned that they won't continue to follow through on their commitments because basically the Trump administration just sought to water down and walk away from everything that had been pursued in the prior eight years. So I don't think it's unfair of the rest of the world to expect us to pass legislation that enshrines these goals in some fundamental way. And that in turn means that the Biden administration has to put this at the top of their list this year. Uh, they can't get back burnered into a you know, right. few years on. And so with, you know, can you paint a picture, uh, Lisa, like when people talk about a green stimulus, like what are we expecting coming out of Washington? Uh, you know, and what type of timeline are we expecting it? Well, there's a, a lot of talk about once this first COVID relief package gets passed, which we're now being interviewed, where are we? We're at the end of February. So maybe by, you know, late March, early April, that will pass and that could certainly slip. But I think there yeah. is an interest in trying to get it done before the end of March because of some of the critical uh, support programs to families and others that will expire. So then the tables will turn to what comes next. And I, I think there's a lot of conversation about a large infrastructure package, which would include a lot of investment and perhaps research, development, deployment, dollars that would support uh, clean energy technologies. And if we look at what they did and what Congress has passed, you know, really over the last six to eight years, it has been a mix of investment and research development and deployment and tax policy. So I think when a a relatively conservative view of what Congress might accomplish this session or by the end of the Congress in a couple of years, there's an expectation that that is kind of the, the center of the bullseye. You know, some kind of uh, tax set of set of tax initiatives and clean energy would be part of it, and then a research, development, deployment uh, set of investments. What comes beyond that? Things like a clean energy standard or some kind of carbon pricing or um, other legislative activity. We really just don't know. And obviously, right. there's a lot of speculation procedurally how you would do that. And we have very tight margins in both the House and the Senate. So. We could have a whole podcast on that, but yeah. <laughs> I think there will be action. It will include clean energy. And 
we have an administration that supports that. So what we didn't have when Congress passed these before was kind of a forward leaning, you know, supporter in the administration. Now we do. And so that's kind of a base of operation. And then let's see what we can do beyond that. We're just okay. tax, yeah, sorry, just tax credits. I, I certainly complained about them earlier, but they, they um, in terms of them being an efficient use of, of, of subsidizing an industry, they, again, they are politically um, acceptable. It would appear oh, right. to, 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 to Joe Manchin, who is, you know, the, the uh, and, and as, as a result, it does look like that's the, at least the conversations at least you know we're hearing here in Washington is that that's the that's the type of um, support that we're going to see potentially going forward. Do you see that being only, both for energy storage and then possibly the cash grant they've been we've been hearing a lot about? I haven't heard as much about the cash grant so much as just the energy storage and for renewables and maybe even some thought about how to subsidize um, anything that's zero carbon. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we do, it is worth noting that, you know, 20, in, it, we are an interesting state where, where, you know, a fifth of our power is from coal, a fifth of our power is, is from renewables and a fifth of our power is from nuclear. And, right. um, and those, those plants, um, if you want to get to zero carbon, you, you got to keep those online and they're not doing so great financially. Right, so, yeah. um, so, you know, that very well may be part of some tax credit discussion as well. Lisa, if there was one thing to, one message you'd want to give to the audience of something they can do to help push some of these things forward in Washington, what would you tell them to do? Other than reading the fact book, of course, that's step one. <laughs> well, I mean, engage locally, you know, with your members of Congress. And if you have a clean energy story to tell, make don't, you know, take that for granted. I mean, I just mentioned we have a sister organization under the BCSE called Clean Energy Business Network. And they represent small and medium-sized businesses in clean energy sectors all over the country. One of the things they do when we release the fact book is that they do a complimentary campaign called Faces Behind the Facts, where they profile business leaders and to do just that, to tell their story. And I still think that, you know, these constituent relationships matter, especially in places where, you know, climate change may not necessarily be the number one talking point that politicians speak about when they do town halls or other things. So I really think getting the local message out that clean energy is reliable, affordable, you know, practical, and it is happening in our area, wherever I live, and and sharing that is really important. Yeah, I think some of the strongest advocacy, both in Washington and locally, is we can tell your own story, but back it up with these facts, right? So I think people get get nervous about, you know, the story they they can tell. It's, it, for, for the audience, it's the personal stories are powerful, but the, the work is done for you. It, it, uh, both Ethan and Lisa and their team have done the work to help you put the facts together to help push the policies we need forward. So, so get on it. Uh, and then, <laughs> Ethan, when we come back to do this next year, you know what? What should we expect in terms of uh, the trends? Gosh, uh, good, good question. I mean, I think one of the points we did try and make in the fact book this year was look. 2020 was super weird. We all know yeah. that. And um, so, you know, for instance, U.S. CO2 emissions fell 9% year to year in from 19, 2019 to 2020. It's an incredible drop. Um, yeah. It's, let's put it this way. If, um, if emissions don't tick back up, 
then we've got some other big problems, which is that our economy is still really going to be, will have really been stalled out. So yeah. it's almost, in my mind, it, now there are a lot of things that go into emissions and weather and whatever, but if emissions don't tick back up again, then then we, we've got, a, you know, then we've got a really deep recession. And I think they will tick back up because the economy does seem to be recovering. So that's, so overall in the macro sense, energy usage almost certainly w- will go up again let's actually hope it does go up Um, but the larger trends that we've seen which is you know improving energy efficiency um decarbonization of the power sector that will that stuff will will continue um i have less confidence about you know um becoming more efficient and and fuel efficient and, and less emitting in the in the transportation sector just because i think they're not under the same kind of pressures um, economically or, or even from regulation, but but hopefully that will change by the end of the year as well. Yeah, interesting. I, I remember pictures going around in April and May of some of the capitals around the world and how clear they were from smog, right? And just a realization, like, unfortunately, it's not going to stay, stay the same. And exactly. no cars on the road. Remember the exactly. rush hour shots of LA, DC, yeah. Uh, you know, Chicago, there was nobody on the road and, yeah. um, and other, and other capitals around the world. We were not obviously the United States. We weren't the only ones. So uh, we're already seeing a bit of the traffic years, sure. coming back, unfortunately. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you both for, for the time. And, uh, you know, I challenge everyone to go get the fact book, give it a read, use it, uh, as much as you can in, in, in advocacy. And, and, and if you're writing op-eds, it's just a great thing to link to. And thank you both for the the incredible uh, story that you're helping to tell for our industry. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. And stay well, stay healthy, stay safe. You too. And and thanks to the teams at the Business Council for Sustainable Energy and Bluebird at NEF and our producers, Colleen Young and Carly Batten, for helping to put this together. You can always get more episodes at cleancapital.com and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.